let's open God's word. What do, we, what do you say we do that? Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. Matthew 6, 5 to 15. We're making our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, here, we actually get right to the, the very heart of the Sermon on the Mount. As we see the Lord's Prayer, a prayer that we are, many of us, if not all of us, are in, in some way or another familiar with. Uh, but in other ways, perhaps... Um, unfamiliar with or perhaps we don't quite realize uh, the power and the purpose that lies in this prayer. Uh, as you turn there to Matthew 6 verses 5 to 15, um, uh, just to note that it's also provided in the bulletin that you uh, received when you arrived, uh, but, but as, so we're going inside next Sunday and next Sunday uh, Neil is going to preach uh, on the next part of the Sermon on the Mount on fasting and then we're going to uh, after that Sunday, we're going to take a brief break over Christmas, and we're going to do a Christmas series in the book of Ruth for four Sundays, uh, starting, what is the next one, the uh, 29th of November. So the 29th of November through, I think, the 21st or something of December, I don't know. Uh, but four Sundays there, I, I promise you, I've looked at the calendar, uh, there's four of them. So anyway, we're going to be in Ruth if you want to read ahead of time, and uh, be looking ahead of time, preparing your hearts ahead of time. Uh, but that said, as we prepare to get into Matthew chapter 6 and the Lord's Prayer, uh, how about we pray and ask the Lord's hand upon us. Lord, as we open your word, now I echo what Sean said, Lord. I, I pray that you would write your word upon our hearts. I pray that you would write your truths upon our hearts. I pray that you would um, minister to us and show us that you are not a God who is far away and distant and has no interest in your people, but who actually we uh, can commune with you and we can share fellowship with you and deep, uh, intimate relationship with you, our maker, our creator, our sustainer. Uh, and you have organized and you have brought all this about out of your rich love towards us and through sending your son, Jesus Christ, to be the means through which we can come before you. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to start by asking you a question. Um, how has your 2020 been? What has changed for you this year? Anything changed? <laughs> some, some, of you, some of you are uh, 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 like, oh, I didn't know anything different was going on as I, as I sit here shivering uh, in an outside worship service in the middle of November. Uh, I had a, a few years ago, I had a guy um, walk into my office, and uh, it was, I want to say 2017, 18, so there had been an election fairly recently and just kind of life, uh, and he... Um, I can't remember, he had shared that he had some kind of medical condition where he had basically almost been in a coma for like three years. Um, and he walks in and he tells me that, and I was like, man, there's a lot to update you on, man, buddy. Uh, uh, th and that might be how you feel about 2020. There's been a whole lot of things that have happened that have all been condensed into one year. Um, but as you think about how your 2020 has been, I, 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 was, I was reading in the Boston Globe uh, a month or two ago about uh, some of the different ways in which people have responded to the pandemic. And some of these, many of these probably are quite familiar. Uh, perhaps some of you have done these things. Maybe you've, you've taken more walks, taken more hikes outside. Uh, you can't go to the movie theater as much. You can't go to the restaurant as much. You can't go hang out at friends' houses as much. And so you're seeing uh, nature and going for walks and hikes. Or uh, maybe you've taken up a sport like tennis or golf or uh, some other outdoor recreational activity that uh, uh, is... Uh, safe and, and doable in this day and age. Or maybe those uh, long put off do-it-yourself projects around the house that you thought would never come due 
uh, now you've run out of excuses and it's time to get those done. And so you've been diligently working on those. But then another one that the Globe pointed out that uh, is not surprising at all that a lot of people are doing in the midst of this pandemic is they are tuning in again spiritually. They're tuning in to, you know, giving themselves more to prayer, more to reflection upon themselves and life and the world and God and, you know, what, 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 what all is going on out here and what, what's the purpose behind everything that we see and observe and even deeper question, what's the purpose behind my own life? Why am I here? And why am I here in this time and why is all of this going on? Is there somebody, is there, is there a God, is there a divine being, a deity of some sort that is out there and that is in control? Or is everything just spiraling out of control? Now we talk about prayer, and maybe that's been the case you've been in. Maybe, maybe before going to bed at night, you've, been, you've, you've wanted to pray, you've thought about praying, and, and you've, you've, you've tried to muster up the words, but you didn't quite know what words to say. You didn't quite know how to pray. Or maybe you've consider yourself somebody who's, who's, somebody who's frequently given to prayer, and, and you pray quite often, but you're like all of us, and you just need a little recalibrating. How do I pray? What shape should my prayers take? What is the purpose behind prayer? What should the goals of my prayers be? Those are good questions for all of us to ask, and they're good questions that Jesus himself answers for us in Matthew chapter 6. What is the purpose of praying? How should I pray? And what should the, the shape and structure of those prayers be? Well, let's read together. I invite you to follow along as I read out loud. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. And what you'll see as I read is that Jesus first, once again, like last week when he talked about giving to the needy, he first addresses the heart behind the person that is praying. And then he addresses the habit or the nature of the praying. So beginning in verse 5, Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows, that, knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. May the Lord teach us to pray through His Word. But the first way that He teaches us to pray... It's actually by showing us how not to pray. He doesn't say, okay, go do this. He gets that in a moment. But he says, here's what you might be tempted to do. Here's what you might be see happening around you from others who, 
who have the appearance of extra divinity, of extra holiness, of righteousness. But that appearance is all that it is. So he says in verse 5, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Remember what we saw last week with hypocrites. They are actors. They are, this isn't people who say, uh, you know, who, who say do this, but they don't do it themselves. They're people who are doing the outward spiritual act. They're, they're doing what they tell others to do, but their hearts are so far from God that, that this outward religiosity is actually blinding even themselves to the truth of their own spiritual state. And so he says, don't be like these hypocrites who are lying to themselves and deceiving themselves. For they love to stand and pray in synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Now, you might say, okay, yeah, that does sound kind of ostentatious to, to stand up in the synagogue, to stand on the street corner and pray. But this was actually something that was quite common in, um, in Jesus' day uh, amongst Jewish authorities and Jewish religious leaders. And it's not an issue with Judaism, it's an issue with their own hearts. It was common for the people to pray at certain times of days, depending on if it was a special uh, religious holiday or, or, or a day of some particular significance. And so it was common for people to stop and pray on street corners or to stand up and pray loud prayers and, and, and long prayers in synagogues. And so Jesus isn't addressing the practice, he's addressing the heart. And so he says, don't be like them. And they, they do all these things, and yet they think themselves quite religious, and yet their hearts are actually quite far from God. He says, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. The other way, and we're going to see verse 6 in a second, but the other way not to pray is he says in verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. So Jesus says, basically, don't do it for a show for men, and don't do it with empty phrases or babbling, thinking that you're saying it over and over and over again will earn you more favor or, or earn you a greater hearing with God. Is it a consolation to you to know that God is not sitting in heaven waiting for you to pray for that request a certain amount of times before he hears you and before he answers? That is not how God is. And we'll see that in just a moment as we further make our way through this passage. But God isn't up there looking down on us and saying, okay, they've prayed 98 times. If they get to 100, I'll say yes. No, that's not what he's saying. The babbling was something that was full of great, uh, great um, uh, uh, language with, with artistic flair and with, uh, uh, with, with a, an appeal to, to, to looking um, uh, astute and to looking uh, quite impressive in, in your language and in your terminology. And, and all of these things, Jesus says, don't worry about that. What Jesus is showing here is that there's far more power in a prayer of somebody that has three words and yet is sincere and from the heart than there is in somebody who has 3,000 words in their prayer, and it is not sincere, and it is only seeking to impress those who are looking at them. So Jesus first tells us, don't pray seeking the praise of men. Don't pray seeking to be noticed by others. Don't pray seeking to fulfill some obligation you feel before others. Pray in order to commune with God himself. In fact, look at this. He's taught us how not to pray, but now he says, going on, verse 6, but when you pray, you're not on the street corner, you're not in the synagogue. When you pray, what do you do? He says, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who is in secret will reward you. This picture here is of somebody who's not seeking the rewards of everyone else saying, wow, that guy has really got his act together. 
but going before God and, and, and calling down, uh, call, calling upon the mercy and the favor of God towards us. This word for, for room or going to your room or going to the closet, as some translations say, it was a word that was actually used in other instances in the original language to, to describe like a storeroom where great treasures and great wealth was held. So we don't, he's not saying we go pray to become wealthy, but he's saying we go pray to call down, to seek the, the very blessings and the very favor of God upon us, to drink from the wells of his mercy that only he can supply. And so as we pray, Jesus says, go and do this in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And then the second way he tells us is do not be like them, speaking of Empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Those are the non-Jewish people who were viewed as being held off at a distance. Or they were babblers. Or they were, they were, they were irreverent. And Jesus is saying, don't, no, we're not going to be like that. He's saying, you pray. Now look at this. Verse 8 is interesting. He's saying, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now you might read this, and, and, and if you're skeptical or somebody who's naturally given to more cynicism like I am at times, or many times, or all the time, um, you, you might read this and say, okay, so your father who sees what you need before you ask for it, therefore, why do I need to pray? What, what, what's in it for me if God knows what, what I need? Oftentimes some people will, will wrestle with questions about God and his goodness and his work, and, and they'll basically land at a conundrum that goes something like this. If God is perfectly good, then he would act a certain way. If he's perfectly powerful, then he would act a certain way. So therefore, the fact that my life is not unfolding the way that I think it ought to, or the way that I have prayed that it would, or the world is not unfolding the way that I have prayed that it would, then that proves that either God is not good, or that he is not near as powerful as you Christians say he is. And frankly, 2020 is a year in which you might look around and you might try to make that case. Have you prayed at all over the course of the last eight or ten months? God, what are you doing? What is happening in this world? If you haven't prayed that at all over the last eight or ten months, I guarantee you, you've probably thought that or at least prayed that over the last eight or ten years because whether it's in a global pandemic or whether it's just in the storms of our own lives, we all face trials, we all face situations where we find ourselves saying, God, what are you doing? Because frankly, from my perspective, it doesn't make sense. And if these circumstances don't make sense, then God, I'm not sure you make sense. You ever been in that boat? I have. Many times. In fact, that's one part of the nature of being a follower of Christ. Part of the nature, part of the, the, the state of being a follower of Christ, what it means to grow as a Christian is learning to grow and trust in God. Sometimes it's a lot harder to trust when circumstances around us seem to indicate that something is off. Maybe this God is off. But thankfully, Jesus answers that. God, where are you? What are you doing? Jesus says, well, let me answer that for you. And let me answer that in a way that will actually serve your praying. In a way that will serve your communing with God. He says in verse 9, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. A good reason to memorize the Lord's Prayer. I don't know if you saw, but the pages in my Bible just turned as I was reading that, but I was able to keep going and couldn't even notice because I had it memorized. Just FYI. And I realize as I say that, I'm probably a hypocrite. Or Jesus and Matthew would say that. But this is a good, a good passage to memorize. And it's a good passage to memorize, not so that we can keep reading it out loud whenever the pages turn because of the wind, but because we need to know how to pray. And Jesus provides for us a great framework to shape our understanding of the purpose and the structure of prayer. And so look at these in, in here. You, you, see as, um, you see there's basically six requests made here. The first three are about God and his work in the world. And the second three, second three are about us and our needs and our provision and our care from God in the midst of the world. So look at the first three with God and his work in the world. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is nothing to do, well, it, it is to do with us, but it's nothing to do with our own needs. It is something that is beyond us, but it is something that informs our understanding of what God is doing in this world. And so when Jesus prays these things, um, this, this, is, this strikes me as quite different than how often I and many of us probably so frequently pray. If you're like me, so many times our prayers begin something like this. Oh God, help. Or oh God, have mercy. Oh God, do this. Something's going bad. And, we, and then we unfold our, our wish list or our needs like, like a scroll that is being unfolded. And it rolls out, 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 like 20 feet out in front of us. Like Santa reading all the kids' wish list at Christmas. But the thing to see here is that Jesus shows us that there's something about the purpose and the work of God and the ways in which he's working in the world, even in pandemics, even in the midst of economic ruin, even in the midst of war and strife, and even in the midst of anything else that could happen, even in the face of death, that shows us the purposes of God are not thwarted by the perils that we face. So he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does it mean that this, our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Well, first, um, the, the, the part about hallowed be your name is this desire, this yearning for, for God's name to be um, treasured, for God's name to be made known, but not God's name to be made known like, oh, God, he, he is the winner, he's victorious, or he, he's the one who rules over all things. Yes, those are all true, but God's name to be known in a manner in which it is adored by more and more and more and more and more people. So Jesus is saying, pray that God, the God whom you worship, would be a God who is adored by those in the world who do not yet know him. So the question is, who is this God? Well, Jesus is telling us, but there's power in the very first part of, ver of the prayer in the middle of verse 9. And, and we read over this, we hear this all the time, but there is absolute power in it that we cannot miss. When it says, our Father in heaven. Think about that. Our Father in heaven. Father, a, a, a familial, a relational term to describe this God, this being who we are near to, who has created us, who we can call upon in a time of darkness, who we can call upon in a time of sorrow or angst or fear. 
A God who is not far off, but a God who is near. A God who does not push us away, but a God who draws us close. A God who meets us in mercy and comforts us with peace. And so Jesus says, our Father who is in heaven. And so there he goes from the Father who, who is near to, the, near to those of us whom he has created, near to all of us, and those of us particularly whom he has drawn to relationship with himself, but our God who is in heaven, who reigns over all things, who he is the creator not only of you and me and the one who sustains us as his church, but the creator of all the stars in the sky. The one who causes waves to crash against the shore. The one who causes mountains to rise, but not rise one inch higher than he has ordained. The God who rules over and reigns over all things, who has eternally existed in the past, eternally will reign for all of future. And so Jesus strikes here against two very common understandings that we might have of God that when held apart from one another are entirely wrong. One understanding we might have of God is that he's just this big lovable teddy bear who we draw near to and he's kind of just more like a good luck charm than anything else. He's my, he's my God who's with me when times are bad. He's my God who, who, who is close to me. He's my God who, who, I, who, I, uh, who I, you know, just kind of have this rhythm with in life. I pray a certain way. I do my certain things. And I know he's just right beside me. Well, yeah, but that's not all he is. There's also the view of it that says, okay, God in heaven, God who's the creator of all things, God who is, who is so powerful, who is so immense, so mighty, so majestic, so all of these things, that he is so up there that we are so down here and we can't know him. Jesus says, no, that's not it either. He says, he is your father who you may know and you know him through Christ and he is in heaven and he rules over all things. And so as you go before God in prayer, you can go before him with a posture with a heart, just like a child asking uh, her father who loves her dearly for a warm glass of milk. But you can go before him with that same sense of gentleness and closeness, but with an awareness that he is the God who has created all things. And the God who rules over all things, and the God who is perfectly powerful over all things. So in a pandemic, or in whatever tragedy you may face, whatever trial you may be walking through, He is a God who understands the grief that you are facing. And yet a God who is capable of addressing that. And who is not impotent and without power to care for you and to comfort you. Isn't it good to have a God who is both near and majestic? Who is both loved and glorious. This is what Jesus is saying to us. And he's saying this God. Who is knowable. Who is, who is not in like the language we used last week. Not just two dimensional. But three dimensional and knowable and understandable. And ability for us to have a relationship with him. We desire for his name to be treasured. We desire for his name to be adored. We desire for this because. We desire as verse 10 says. For his kingdom to come. His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. This prayer for the kingdom of Christ to come, this prayer for the kingdom of God to come, is one simply praying that the message of the gospel, the message of God's work in bringing people to faith in himself and bringing people into relationship with himself, making them citizens of his kingdom, of his world, where they have come to him through faith in his son, 
Jesus as the one who has died for their sins, who has atoned for their sins, and who has made them his own. It's a prayer for this kingdom to advance and advance and advance. It's a prayer that can look at elections that just contain everything an election contains. Let's say it like that. And can say, my hope is in another kingdom. It's a prayer that our brothers and sisters in places that don't have the blessing of being able to have democratic elections, but, but live under the strict uh, authoritarian rule of dictators and, and perhaps live under the oppressive hand that would seek the destruction of the church. It's a prayer that our brothers and sisters who have to meet in secret because the government around them does not want it, they can pray, Lord, your kingdom come with hopes that though their uh, authoritarian dictator will one day die, their God who reigns over this world reigns for all of eternity. And he is building his church. And so what we see here is that, that this Lord's Prayer is not an invitation to ask God to work in our lives, our situations, but it's enveloping ourselves into the work that He is doing in the world. It's not asking Him to enter into my problems. He's already done that in Jesus Christ. But it's asking Him to bring us into understanding of what He is doing. So do you, does your prayer life seem a little disjointed at times? Does it seem a little off-focus? Does it seem a little uh, even powerless? Well, maybe, maybe that's because the purpose behind it that you have is the same purpose that I fall uh, trapped to sometimes, and that is seeking to use God for my own purposes and not recognizing how God uses me for His purposes. And in that, we recognize that the manner by which He would work in us for His name to be hallowed, for His kingdom to become, for His will to be done on earth, is the greatest answer that He could give us to any prayers that we might have. So you might sit there and you wonder, what is God's will for my life? Right here. His name to be hallowed, his kingdom to come, his will to, be, will to be done. What does God want from me? His name to be hallowed, his kingdom to come, and his will to be done. Sometimes we don't hear that because we're too busy telling him our will to be done. And so you say, okay, well, I, I get that. I'm willing, to, I'm willing to concede that to you, Stephen. But now how do I do this? How do I know what God's will is? Well, to know God's will, we've got to open up God's word. You want to know God's will? You want to know the answer to your prayers? Pursue knowing His Word. Pursue knowing the, way that, the ways and the manners in which He is working in the world. What I mean by that is the manner by which His kingdom is advancing, the manner by which His name is being hallowed, and seek to orient your life around that and pray God's purposes be accomplished through you. Pray God's purposes be accomplished through us, His church. But we don't just pray these things with an understanding of the world, but we pray these things with an understanding and an understanding now how we ask for the things that we need in this life in light of the work that he is doing. We see that in the second part of the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Three requests. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. The first one seems pretty simple. Give us our daily bread. Lord, provide for our needs. And so this is something that many of us ask in various ways in various times, navigating life, navigating work, navigating family, navigating just the day-by-day -day grind that life, that humanity calls us to. The Lord wants to know about those. Do you, have you ever, has it ever dawned on you that, that nothing you could pray for, nothing you could talk about with God, nothing you could take before Him is ever too small? 
God doesn't want to just hear from us whenever we're facing a mountain that we don't know how we'll climb. God delights in hearing the prayers of his people. What is it that is something even little you can take before God and ask for his mercy in? Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So forgive us our debts. This word for debts, we could also say sins. Some of your translations probably say that. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us for the ways in which we have transgressed against you, God. You might say, well, I don't know how I've transgressed against God. Well, go back to the first part of the prayer. Where are areas in which you prayed for your, or not prayed, but just desired in your heart, as Sean mentioned earlier, where our wills go astray, where are ways in which your will has gone astray from God's will? Where you have prayed for the hallowing of your name, or, or sought the hallowing of your name, or, or sought the, the, uh, the, the accomplishment of your purposes, or your desires, and not the kingdom of God and His purposes? Ways in which maybe you, you want to know the best way to, to know where you might need to seek God's mercy and His forgiveness for seeking out, or, or, or for your debts or for your sins is to read over the first part of the prayer about hallowing his name, his kingdom comes, will be done. And then, then, then just introspectively consider ways in which you don't quite want that. Ways in which your life seems pretty good without his kingdom coming or without his will be, being done. Or ways in which his word convicts us of uh, our own arrogance or our own greed or of our own envy or of our own uh, discontentment with the lot we have in life. And we feel as if perhaps God isn't good or we feel as if perhaps God has neglected us or we feel as if God is not there. We recognize that that's a sin against God because we know he's exactly right where he always has been. And he has us where he would have us to be for his purposes. And so maybe the debt to take before him, the sin to confess before him and ask for mercy is transgressing against or rebelling against His will. And then Jesus gets to our hearts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Another area in which to pray for mercy might be pray for mercy in the areas in which you have a hard time forgiving others. The best ways that we will be a people of mercy to one another is to recognize the deep mercy that God has lavished upon us. And so Jesus is saying here as we pray, that the more we know the, 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 felt, the, the forgiveness of our sins by God our Father, the more we will be aware of both our responsibility and of the necessity of forgiving those who have transgressed against us. How do you do with that? How do you do with forgiving those who transgress against you? Do you recognize that it's something that you ought to do, just like some religious habit, like, oh, I've got to forgive again. I'm so tired of this person. Or do you recognize that in our forgiveness of others, in our mercy that we show to others, it's actually a means by which the name of God is hallowed as grace flows in a world that is uh, bitter with anger. The name of our God is hallowed as love flows in a world that is saturated with, with hate. And so as we seek to work out these fruits of the Spirit of God in our life and forgiving others of, of the sins they have committed against us, we are actually helping to serve to accomplish these purposes of verses 9 and 10. 
It's almost as if God has designed it as if he has it all planned out. We've been having every kind of distraction the last few weeks. So as you consider that, forgiving of others, may God help us to be a people that forgive others and help us to see that's the purpose that he has for us in his will. And then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, help me to live in a manner that is in accord with the hallowing of your name. Help us to live in a manner that serves to show that you are our treasure, that you are our prize, that you are our joy, and nothing else is. And Lord, where the enemy might seek our destruction in this to to deliver us into evil, Lord, would you lead us away from temptation and deliver us out of evil? You know one of the best ways that he does that? Because he reminds us of two things. His nearness, the fact that he is our Father, and his greatness, the fact that he is in heaven. A God who is near but who is not powerful is not a God particularly to be feared. He's not a God to have that holy awe before. But a God who is powerful but who is not near is not a God who is to be adored. A God who is, okay, he's up there, he's distant, whoop-de-doo, yeah, he's in control, but what's that mean for me? Well, he adores us. And these are summed up, this nearness and this, this, this nearness and this power in his son whom he sent. Jesus Christ to be the atonement for our sins. Jesus Christ, the one who walked on water. Jesus Christ, the one who taught in a manner that no one else had ever taught or in a manner that no one else would ever teach. He came in order that he might not only show the glory of God, but that he might show the grace of God in his death for the enemies of God as we are in our sin. And so when he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. He's not saying that in a manner in which this is how you come to know God, but he's saying that in a manner in which this is the way in which you reveal that you are the people of God. Not praying on street corners, not praying in synagogues real loudly, not babbling like Gentiles, but in forgiving and hallowing the, king, the name of God. Forgiving others in a manner in which his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he strikes hypocrisy with a final blow when he says in verse 15, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Brothers and sisters, what has 2020 taught you? What are you learning in 2020? Perhaps in a year full of great lows, of great pain, of adjusting to new normals that we, don't, we just look at and we say, I want the old normal. Perhaps one of the good gifts of 2020 is that he would teach us all to pray. He would teach us all to pray, not as a people who lack in hope, but a people who are abundant in trust in our Father who is in heaven. And our trust in him is secured through the Son that he has sent to atone for our sins. Let's pray together. Lord, as we conclude, we we give to you thanksgiving. And we pray this simply, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to be a people that hallow your name, that advance your kingdom, that seek to know your will. Help us to trust you for our daily bread. Help us to forgive others where it is hard to do. And help us, Lord, to be not led into temptation by the evil one. 
but to trust you in all things, our Father who art in heaven. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Christ our hope, Christ our reward. It is in his name we pray. Amen.